0: When Jesus would minister to people, he would often, not always, not every single time, but often would begin by awakening desire in them, awakening a specific intent, even if it seemed, sometimes it would even be obvious if he would would ask a blind man, what is it that you want from me? (laughs) That was There were times that perhaps that Jesus would ask those kinds of questions and because it wasn't obvious and and maybe he didn't have a specific insight from the spirit. And so he would ask, but it was not unusual. In fact, it was often for Jesus to ask someone what they wanted. I believe that has to do a lot with the theology of the will. The fact that God does not will not overpower our will. He will overwhelm it there's a difference overpowering our will is is an act of tyranny that he will seize upon it and make a decision and but but to overwhelm us is to be so is to be so wooed so so incredibly wooed so completely whelmed that 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 we that the resistance crumbles maybe not agreement but crumbles uh and I, I don't want to get off too far on that because a, it's a fascinating thing for me to think about how he, he, doesn't, over, he doesn't force our will, but he will, he will whelm us significantly. Uh, but Jesus would ask this question, what do you want? And I, and I wanted you to do that tonight together because uh, our, what we're talking about tonight is the impact of spirit baptism on the church. The impact of spirit baptism is revival. I need you to, everybody say revival for me, will you? So, historically, revival or renewal of any kind, personally or in the church, is preceded by desire. Some sort of desire, some sort of hunger, and, and oftentimes that the, the more specific the desire and the more specific the hunger, the more intense that desire becomes and the more profound the outbreak, the, or I would say more, the more profound the breakthrough occurs. I will say this, there has, never, there has never been personal or corporate, that is, church body-wide revival in a local church or in a local church region that is, that is the result of ambivalence. It is not uncommon for someone, in fact, I, I don't want to, I, I didn't overhear anybody, so I'm not picking on anyone. And if someone in your group said it, don't look at them sideways and don't get mad at me. But for someone to say, well, you know, what? I'm just open to whatever God has. That's an admirable trait, and we should be open to whatever God has. But if your attitude is whatever, that sounds a lot like k sara <laughs> right? Whatever will be, will be. And that is ambivalence. That is, well, whatever you know, if God that, that, that attitude won't get you born again either. Well, if God wanted me saved, I guess He'd save me. Uh, why? No, the Lord is after your desire, and if you wonder why, it's because you kept, you couldn't measure the desire He has toward you. We do not serve an ambivalent, it dispassionate God. Not that He's manic and out there and you know, and I had too much coffee or anything. But the but the but God 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 is a God of great zeal. As a matter of fact, the scriptures talk about when the Lord accomplishes something, it says the the zeal of the Lord God Almighty will accomplish this. God God acts in accordance with His own righteous and holy and pure passions. And I believe it's important that we allow that we be intentional even in stirring up our passions toward Him. I do not believe that we will see. Uh, breakthrough in our life, either in, in an immediate sense, and I'm going to use three words tonight: immediate, ongoing, and increasing. Just because those are the those are the, the 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 descriptive terms in my in my heart, and I, uh, w- w- if you, you already get it, I'm sure, but I want to talk about that. We, ne- in other words, we need revival immediately. We need revival, uh, ongoingly, and we need it increasingly. And those things happen. Because we are intentional, because we steward our own zeal. That's why Romans chapter twelve verse eleven in the in the in the in nineteen eighty four NIV <laughs> says, "Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual for serving the Lord." You know, whatever that version you memorize, something in, it just stays in there. Uh, uh, but uh, and the, the NASB I still haven't quite God nailed it yet. But it's the same idea: not lacking, not slothful. Don't lack, not lacking in zeal. Is the commandment there, do not lack, in other words, be intentional and steward your own zeal, so I ask you tonight, hey when you get you know look at somebody and see if you can identify why you're here, and if it's m e h that's okay as far you know if you brought that, you can change that right now and i I've never seen anyone bring an m e h to the Lord and see breakthrough. you all know what m e h spells right Meh, Meh right, yeah. Okay. No, I've never seen anyone bring meth to the Lord and see breakthrough. Read. I read a quote earlier this week, and I thought it was. I, I thought about it for a minute. I thought, well, all right, that's okay. And it might be that it might be that Batterson, Patterson fella, Batterson fellow, whatever that guy's name is, he might have said something like this: that the more the more we exercise our faith, that the more our faith is developed, the more focused our prayers become, because there's a there's a, and there's a there's a heightened degree of expectancy with specificity. You know, oh, Lord, bless us. That's a good prayer, and I I hope you do pray that. But if you lean into some specifics of that, it will require a greater flexing of your faith, a greater focus on something. And and there's an increase in expectancy. And so in the same way, I want you to stir up your desire. I hope that you will stir up your desire, your focus. What is it that you want, that you know you need, that you want from the Holy Spirit? And I hope that those expectations, that those desires can be informed by the Scriptures, but whatever they are, stir them up, focus them, do something with them. I believe that uh, right now at Heritage, we, we are, we are, and we, Heritage is a great place, great church. Always has been a great church, always will be, even greater. And yet, I can just say that even right now, there's just this renewed sense, there's an expectation in the leadership team, and there's a sense of going on that there's just right, well, you know, that you know, there's, there's seasons of sowing and reaping and whatever else, but Golly, there's this strong sense of, wow, we are we are we are really walking into fresh breakthrough as a church. Wonderful Jesus. How many would say amen? Amen. And if you're if you're newer to heritage or not part of the church, you are part of his church and you're welcome here. But I'm just saying that that folks here are are laying hold of fresh breakthrough and we're seeing it. Uh, And and. So I come tonight, This is now this is March, so this is our, our spirit-filled living service, our Sunday nights where we set aside and we just want to focus on this. Our, in January, we had, we had the, the cruises and we spent time in worship. In February, it was, the, we, it was after our annual business meeting and, and it was very brief. We'd been here a while and I just felt like we needed to just end on a, on, a, on a note about praise. So this really is our first night in 2018 where I can say, okay, what do I feel like we need to say? And I, I'm, I'm stirred. I'm arrested, I'm poked for, to say, we, let, us, let us set our sights, our focus, our desire intensely on revival. Immediate, ongoing, and increasing. Can we say those three words just so that I hear you say them? Immediate, ongoing, and increasing. We need breakthrough right now. Not that, not that, and not that we're in a bad place. It's just that I just can't handle it. I just, I'm so hungry, I've got to have more right now we got to have breakthrough right now because there's need right now, there's opportunity right now, and right now, there's no time like right now, <laughs> right? So right now, and so as a matter of fact, our faith must, there must always be a right now-ness to our faith. Otherwise, it drifts into ambivalence. So let us always have faith that is a right now, but then we... Our faith must continue to be ongoing, like not just now, but I, 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 for example, I I put a post in there on our our church Facebook page because I was looking through and I read the I read about this cathedral uh, over in Italy that that took five, five, six hundred years for them to build it. They built this thing over the course of five centuries. I mean, they started it in the 1300s and they finished it in like 1965. That, that's, that 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 reflects some of the stories I heard about them saying about them building cathedrals back in the day, and when they made plans that, and they planted forests to prepare to finish the roof someday. That is that is a that's faith for a building, which is great, and those are those facilities are necessary. But golly, are we have do are we cultivating faith? not only for this generation, but for the next, but to say, hey, you know what? Should the Lord tarry? I'm sure that in the 1300s, they thought Jesus was coming the next day, some of them, and we should live like that. But you know what? It still may be a smidge. I don't want to discourage anybody, but it might be a smidge. We should live like he's coming tomorrow, but we need to be praying and believing and working that there's another 500 years, 600 years left. There needs to be evidence that we were here. We need to leave some sort of an imprint. We've got to shake this place. Hey, we can't leave it the way it is. We can't leave it the way it is. We cannot leave it the way it is. Are you feel me? We, we, we need something to change right now. This can't go on. Nonsense, nonsense going on. People doing nonsense. And you can't do it. You can't, you can't force them. You can't vote it different. The only thing that changes anything is revival. So we need something right now? Somebody say right now. Right now. And yet, but we got to look for the future. We need something to go on. We're not, we can't be satisfied to go and then stop like some sort of $4.79 firework on the 4th of July. Woo, that was nice. And then gone. No evidence. All there's left is a smoldering piece of, of, of trash. We've had enough of churches that have just become has-beens, to be memorials of what, something that happened at one time. That shouldn't be. That shouldn't be it shouldn 't be we should if, if what, God, what, God, what God begins, he sustains and finishes. we should have faith to see hey what yes we 've talked about a forty year revival, but why not a four hundred year revival why not? and by that, I mean four hundred years of sustained, vibrant growing spirit filled dynamic church why not doesn't it, we 't have to change your eschatology for that There's still, if you if you're if you need to be. If you need pre dispensational, premillennial, everything's going to go bad. There's still plenty of bad stuff that can happen and still have revival. Man, I pray through and Henri still finds its way out. Just go, oh, there it is. problem is I alone find my own self amusing. It is. I'm batting a thousand today. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Who was himself. Part of the Reformed camp and made many of his Reformed theologian friends very angry because he, as a good Reformed Puritanesque type of feller, he believed in immediate, ongoing, and increasing outpourings of the Spirit. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones said this I would define a revival as a large number, a group of people being baptized by the holy spirit at the same time or the holy spirit falling upon coming upon a number of people assembled together it can happen in a chapel in a church it can happen it can happen in a district it can happen in a country revival is the result of spirit baptism or of a Pentecostal experience. I want to talk about that a little bit tonight from, from Scripture and from history, and some of it's going to require some definitions that I will supply, and they'll just some of them might just be mine. But um, revival is an, is, is an individual and a shared experience. And I argue for individual revival because, I, would, because I, have, I have experienced it. And I would never allow anyone to say, unless it's shared by, you know, 25 people, it's not something, oh, it's real. I, I would argue for an individual breakthrough and the effect it has on a person's life, from my own life, from the scriptures, from history. Anything God, if, God can, if God can get breakthrough into someone's life, he can get breakthrough out through someone's life. There is powerful things that can happen on an individual basis. And so you should never think, well, golly, if I'm the only one hungry, nothing's going to happen. You couldn't be more wrong. God, I believe God's looking for just anybody who's really hungry. And we have, and Smith used to say, Wigglesworth you to say, we, the world has yet to see what God can really do through one person who's fully consecrated to him. I suppose other than Jesus, he left him out. And yet... Without taking away from the significance of individual breakthrough, the, 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 the principle of shared breakthrough, when people begin to have breakthrough together, there is, uh, inarguably, an exponential effect that happens. When people sh- embrace breakthrough in the spirit together immediately, ongoingly, and increasingly, there is phenomenal change that happens across, uh, it can happen across a, a, a church, a family, a city, and an, a nation, and the world. And it, can af- and it can affect, the thing about shared breakthrough that is, that is, when it's focused and when it's powerful, is that that kind of breakthrough can continue to affect the world far beyond the awareness of those who first experienced that breakthrough. Some of this, well, I will just highlight tonight, we, the, the, the content or the, the potential subject matter tonight could be quite long, We're, we won't, that's not my intention, it's just to move us to a place of, of prayer. Revival is the result of spirit baptism or spirit fullness. Or like, here's, and I like that Dr. Uh, Jones re, re, used it in two ways. A group of people being baptized by the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit falling upon or coming upon a number of people. He, that, those are the same, biblically, those are the same terms. But whatever, but some folks would like to understand spirit baptism as an inaugural experience and then the coming upon or filling as, a, as an ongoing thing doesn't matter. Most of that semantics. I, I pray that's going to be my next, my next point here. I pray that you don't allow semantics to get you all tripped up so that, that it precludes you from just being hungry. But spirit fullness, spirit baptism, the coming of the Holy Spirit, revival is the result of, 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 of personal and corporate Pentecostal experience. By Pentecostal experience, I mean experience that, that reaches back toward the initial experience in the second chapter of Acts that 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 reaches toward and embraces the church being filled with and receiving, being influenced by all these words, the 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 coming of the Holy Spirit. That and that that is we'll see in, in scripture that is an inaugural and an, and an ongoing and even an increasing experience. And so that's what we mean by Pentecostal experience, the coming on, the, the quickening of the Holy Spirit upon our life, that is that is what produces revival and that is the only hope of the church it is the only hope of the church immediately ongoing and increasingly and part of the thing that's why we started talking about you know uh, your desires is our our passion for pentecost has to become larger than our politeness now i'm not you know me i don't advocate for people being impolite in ministry or in worship that's not what i mean and do I, We can be, we can engage in wonderful spiritual passion and still operate in honor in a room. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, is that people almost hide behind a sense of politeness. You call you invite people to prayer and, and people come into a room and sit in total silence for some reason. You turn on, you turn on a football game and they go out and they lose their minds. I mean, but, uh, uh. What I'm saying is, there's got to come a sense of passion to where we're not afraid to to pray even out loud, or to lift our voice, or to weep, or to just cry out to God in anguish without worrying. Well, golly, I may be a little bit louder than the person next to me. Those kinds of things have to dis, have to totally disappear. Those things become completely irrelevant when the church has become awakened. When no no one when and I and I don't like to use cheap, you know. Uh, hasty and intense illustrations but you know if the when the if the building was on fire and we were trying to get people out no one would be worried about you know not being loud and being careful we that when when in other words when we are when our passions and our concerns are are great enough we set aside certain elements of our north american you know uh, cultural politenessisms. And I'm not saying that we have to just get together and turn into a circus. That somehow that's the lever for revival. But I, I do believe that 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 that, 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 that re- intentionally restraining ourselves uh, to to maintain a sense of decorum or boredom or uh, or, or or maybe if your objective is just to get this hour of church over with, I am convinced that not, that will never that will never lead to breakthrough revival is the only hope of the church immediately, ongoingly, and increasingly. Lord, we we ask for, we want breakthrough now. We want breakthrough to continue, and we want breakthrough to increase. We We want the work of your spirit to be deeper and wider and fuller in our lives. And Lord, I ask that you awaken that in us. biblically and historically. Can we talk about it for a moment? I will anyway. In the life of Jesus, nothing happened until, until I would say, let's call it a Pentecostal event. You might say, hey, I don't think Jesus spoke in tongues. Well, no, that's a whole other shooting match. But uh, but but what did Jesus do prior to the Holy Spirit Falling upon him in in, in baptism. What did he do before that? What happened in Jesus' life? Nothing. Nothing. Jesus did nothing. Luke is the only one who tells us anything, and that's because Mary probably told him, oh, this one time we took him to church and he stayed when we left. That's the only thing we know. Other than that, nothing. He grew up a good boy. That's it. But when this it was when the spirit now, Jesus, we've talked about this at length. Jesus was conceived, born by the spirit. So the same spirit that gave him birth baptized him. That's intentional for us to remember you to be a Christian. You must be born by the spirit. There is life that comes into you by the spirit. And it it is it is a it is a it is a it is a. New experience with the same spirit that we call baptism. And Jesus is our model. He's born of the Spirit and He's baptized in the Spirit. He was born of the Spirit by and it gave him life, but Spirit baptism changed his life and made him an instrument of heaven, made him a catalyst for change. Luke 321, the spirit, this, it was Jesus is being baptized. He comes up out of the water. The heavens open up. There's a voice. You are my beloveds on whom I am well pleased. And there's wonderful theology in here that, that that about spirit baptism and the embrace of the father. And there's really cool stuff to teach on there. And it really is. It's an, it's an embrace of the father. There's so much going on there. But from that point on, Jesus's life, Luke goes. Luke really goes out of his way from that point on to tell us that from Luke 321, Jesus's whole life is driven, is, is moved by, he lives his life by the Spirit. That, that immediate breakthrough led to, led to ongoing and even increasing uh, works of the Spirit in his life. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse, verse 1, it says that this is that he comes up out, he, he, is, he, is, he is filled by the Spirit and he, is, and he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He comes out of the wilderness and the wilderness did not make him more anointed or more full. He went in full and came out full. Wildernesses don't make you baptized in the Spirit. The Spirit does. Wilderness, the wilderness doesn't make you anointed, the Spirit does. He went into the wilderness anointed, he came out anointed. Because of, because of what happened in 321. So and then 414, he comes in and he is, and, and Luke tells us that, that he comes in and he's and he comes in and he ministers full of the Spirit he ministers by the spirit's power and word spreads about him what he's doing and, and then in 4 18 and 19 Jesus when Jesus stands up and actually gives in Luke his inaugural address his he explains the platform of his whole ministry and he and he says what it says this the spirit of the lord is upon me because he's anointed me to do this 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 and then, then he says the, and the, today these words have been fulfilled in your hearing that what that my life is about what the, is about the the fact that there's that the holy spirit has come upon me I'm going to live out this life as a consequence of spiritfulness. That's not just that's not just the that's not just that for us to admire that about Jesus. It is for us to emulate that about Jesus. Now, beyond the, beyond Jesus, let's go to the. Uh, to the, the, the disciples, the church, the followers of Christ. What happened in their life now? When they're with Jesus, they, they, they had a certain degree of function, functioning under his authority and his commission. He would empower them, send them out, and do whatever. But he, when, he, when he removes himself from the scene, when he ascends, the, the, he specifically commands his disciples to do nothing or to go, rather, to go nowhere until they are clothed with power from the Holy Spirit. Now, again, the, my point is this, spirit that revival is the result of this Pentecostal experience, this spirit baptism, the coming upon of the spirit, personally and corporately. We see it in Jesus, that revival, he was alive, but in terms of revival, instead of, in terms of awakening and a catalyst for change, nothing happened in Jesus' life until the spirit comes upon him. Now, Jesus leaves the scene, and the church, Jesus actually tells the church, you're, you're not to leave. Wait in the city until you are clothed with power. Right, that's Luke twenty-four forty-nine. Then, then we read. We know in Acts chapter two, and for some of us, I, I I get concerned because as soon as I say Acts chapter two, I can almost feel in the room people going, "Oh yeah, I heard that." You know, and they change the channel. They think about home and garden or whatever. But uh, but listen, you have Acts chapter two. You have that. You have uh, the, the church. All they're doing, and rightfully so, is waiting upon the Lord. Now, they were not waiting. We've talked about this. They were not waiting upon the Lord in ambivalence. They were not just going, well, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, hope that we can get this song over with and all that kind of thing. They, they were, they had informed expectations. They had been with Jesus in the, in, the, in, the, in the upper room prior to his crucifixion. In John chapter 14, 15, 16, Jesus had explained to them, what, who the Holy Spirit was, what He was coming to do, what impact He, what he would have in their lives. Furthermore, apparently he, had, he said even more to them after His resurrection about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so they're waiting with expectation. Would you say that with me? With expectation. They are waiting in the upper room with expectation. They they are aware that someone is coming, that it's God, very God, the Holy Spirit, the comforter is coming. That, and, 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 and at the very minimum, if you took everything else out and just went to Acts chapter one, what they understood was that Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And they understood that power to be the very the very thing that was at work in the life of Jesus. That which was that which, which flowed out of him to minister deliverance to those under demonic t- d- oppression. That things that, that that power that flowed out of him to minister healing to those who were sick. That thing that flowed out of him that that said, Wow, he, when he talks, there's authority. There's something about his life. There is life that comes out of him. When he's when there is a where there's a difference between when he has been there that the kingdom of darkness is has been destroyed or has been decreased there is life people are more free the kingdom has come as a matter of fact another subject for another day when we talk about the kingdom of god we're really talking about the person of the holy spirit i can explain that and prove that later but it is because there's not a separate thing out there okay the kingdom is the spirit himself that's why jesus comes and says the kingdom is here because he's he, he never said that until the spirit was on him And so when when Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 to his disciples, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit, they understood that the person of the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them, and that would be an experience that would bring change into their life, that would empower them to be carriers of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God would first of all fall upon them and transform them, and then that they would become instruments, they would become ambassadors, they would become carriers of that same kingdom. Now, and, and these people; these are people that spent days and days and days and days with the King. They felt that. Can you? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt the Spirit of the Lord? You felt the presence of the Lord. People talk about that in church nowadays, especially at heritage. We say, to "People, man, I, I came in. I, boy, I feel the presence of the Lord here, and I believe that that's good." They probably feel it to a certain degree, but how many know that there's a lot more that can be and should be being felt? Can you imagine spending time day after day with the King Himself? And what they felt. And he said, don't worry, I'm leaving, but but this spirit will come upon you. So they were waiting. They knew. They knew they were expecting. They were focused. They were hungry. And they waited. Now, I know that prophetically and according to the plan of God, there was certain that the Holy Spirit wasn't going to come the day before or the day after Pentecost. (laughs) Okay, that was the plan of God. At least it appears that way. Uh, so we should not say you. there's a prescribed number of hours or days that we have to wait around for, for breakthrough. But nor, nor should we make the mistake that just, when was that thing, that microwave invented? Anybody know? A, few, a while ago? Last century, right? Uh, right? Right? A century ago, they invented that microwave, and that's done a lot of neat things. It's helped us. It's helped us to burn popcorn and stuff. <laughs> it's also really hindered our prayer life because we bleep bleep bleep. You know, we we set the we set the prayer timer for 45 seconds, and it, it should be done. Blah blah blah. I should have breakthrough. And yet, generations before us. I mean, they would wait just for a half an hour because they felt like that was, a right, that was what you do in the presence of majesty anyway. Now you wait for half an hour and people think, well, God's not going to show up. He's late. He lost our address. Let's go home because we got DVR to catch up on. I'm not advocating waiting for waiting's sake. But I am advocating awakening our hunger and our expectation to the point. Where regardless, if I, no matter how long I'm waiting, I'm going to have breakthrough because it is the plan of God, it is the purpose of God, it is the promise of God. Amen. I'm going to have breakthrough. Yeah. So they waited, they waited, they waited 10 days. Then there was breakthrough, powerful revival. We know the story that there was the sound of the rushing of mighty wind. There was the sound of heaven. There was the, the, the sight the, of... Fire! All of these things to these believers, they would have understood these Old Testament. These good Jewish people would have understood these as the signs of the presence of God Himself, as the signs of Yahweh Himself, the Holy of Holies. They were they would have clearly understood. Whoa! This is God. And then they all began to the Holy Spirit filled them, and they all began to speak in other tongues. And that was uh, that. And after that, after that aha moment, they they are all together, all speaking in other tongues, expressing praise. To God. None of them understood what they were saying, but they didn't care. They were worshiping the Lord really in what would be called ecstatic praise. Not uncontrollable, not out of their minds, but just expressing praise to God in, in a in using using well, whatever, sorry, in other otherworldly energies. The, in, in, uh, be connected with the the life of the, the Spirit Himself. Flowing through them. It was supernatural. And after that, what did the what did the disciples, Jesus leaves, what did the disciples do before that? Nothing. What did they do after that? Change the world. After that, boom. After that, Jerusalem is shaken. Jerusalem is shaken. And, and you, need to, you need to hear this. The free flow of Pentecost, unhindered by politeness, unhindered by fear, unhindered by, well, what are people going to think, unhindered by what time is it, unhindered by, I'm not sure how comfortable I am. Nobody in the upper room said, well, I'm not sure this is for me. Unhindered, unhindered by the pollution of disappoint, disappointment or bad doctrine, totally unfiltered, unfettered Pentecost unleashed, loosed in the church, shakes a city steeped in religion. Thousands of people. Be, this, and you guys, have we talked about this? It's easy to say, oh, boy, these were people that had never heard of Jesus before. They, most of them, I, I can't speak authoritatively with, or with certitude, but let me just say it this way. They'd all heard of Jesus. When Peter stood up and said, "Jesus," the crowd didn't say, "Why? Who is he talking about?" These are people that had gathered. They had gathered for this feast of Pentecost, but 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 the Pentecost was a junior varsity feast compared to, to Passover, and they had just been there before. So these are the, these are some of the same people that probably had been shouting, "Crucify him!" They. These are people that had heard about Jesus, that had heard stories of his miracles. They'd heard that he was a prophet. They'd heard all this stuff. So what was different? Because some some fishermen stood on the rooftop and talked about him now, now. Maybe was it it a new method? Was it a new formula? Was it a new frame of speech? What changed that now this fisherman on on the rooftop is talking about this Jesus, and thousands of them are cut to the heart and cry out, what must we do to be saved? What was the difference? The difference was singularly Pentecost. The single difference, Pentecost, loosed in the church, unfiltered, unhindered, unedited. He's a good lion, he's not a tame lion. that's a chronicles in not everybody is like what's he talking about? He lost his mind talking about a lion. Immediate. What about ongoing? You flip a couple of chapters, blah blah. Go over to chapter four and verse twenty-nine. Again, a passage that is not unfamiliar. In fact, again, it's one of those passages that's almost too familiar that we just go, oh yeah, heard it, been there. But four twenty-nine, the, the the after 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 persecution breaks out, the disciples get together and they pray again. They pray again and they they gather together and they. They, they, they're praying out loud and, and their prayer sounds something like this in a, in a quote. It's, this is partly, partly quoted, partly paraphrased from 29 forward of chapter 4. And now, Lord, right, consider the threats. And now, Lord, you know, grant your servants boldness to speak your word by the stretching forth of your hand to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they had prayed. The place where they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Now, look here. He's already recorded that these people are already glossolalia. They're already expressing themselves. They're already speaking in tongues. So he doesn't record it again because that would be like, oh, they like that would almost indicate that they had stopped. But they didn't. There was an aorist tense in in, in Acts 2. They began and it did not stop. It's like when you were born, you began breathing. How many are glad you kept breathing? Okay. That's what it That's, that's the same verb tense that they began speaking. It was something that continued in their life. It was, part, it was an ongoing thing that they were doing. In Acts chapter 4, these, these tongue speaking, worshiping people come back to the altar for, for ongoing encounter. And they are filled again. Someone say filled again. They are filled again. Is it possible for the filled to be filled again? not only is it possible it's a, it's a, it's an absolute necessity it's an absolute ongoing necessity so they're filled again and, and they're filled again with 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 and the place that they're meeting is shaken there's again there's there's a there's phenomenon that occurs and i and i hear people say all kinds of things but let's just let's just acknowledge let's just say that that when that 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 when our passion reaches out and grabs a hold of the passion of heaven we we, we should not expect nothing to happen So the place where they're meeting is shaken and there's another sense there's this there's another sense of, of of god making his presence known do you believe that god still wants to make his presence known in the church yes he does he absolutely wants to make his presence known in the church and that is why acts that is why first corinthians chapter 12 talks about the what paul calls the manifestation of the spirit to make to when something is manifest it means it's not hidden not disclosed not not qui- not not quieted, but ex- but ex- but exposed, revealed, experienced, seen, felt. This is the pneumatica. This is the, the charisms. These are the the Holy Spirit is here to be present, manifest in our midst. We are to have this reverent, holy, miraculous awareness of the presence of God. That's supposed to be normal. Acts chapter four. Another outpouring. Another increased revival. Now. Skip forward about 20 years after Acts chapter 2, after Pentecost, 20 years later, in Acts chapter 19. This is just a fascinating thing. And, and you 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 know it well enough. I probably don't even need to read it. But let me just, I I read it again the other day. I try to read, try to read whatever day, the date that is. I try to read that day in Acts. And then uh, if I, you know, there's only 28. So if you have left over, I can just stay in one for a few days. Um so here you have Acts chapter 19, and I try to read it like I haven't read it before. Here's Acts chapter 19. This is the Apostle Paul in one of his missionary journeys, and here he goes. He lands in a city named Ephesus. Hallelujah. Now we're hearing the book of Acts read to us by a wonderful British man. That's okay, Paul. Don't worry about it. I appreciate that British reader. He reads better than I do. Okay. Acts chapter 19. Here's, here's what Luke says. It happened. That wh- that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus, and found some disciples. And he he said to them, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?" I I I, I read that again. I read that a thousand times, like you, many of you. But I thought, Lord, what? I, really, that was the first thing he asked him? The first the his first concern. His first question, his first, his, the, first, the first matter of importance to Paul coming upon these new believers is, is, is there is to examine, to question them about their relationship with the Holy Spirit. That does, what does that tell us about the importance or the significance of the Spirit in the church? Paul says, okay, 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 the first question I've got for you did, you, did you receive the Spirit? Now, there's a lot of other things that were to, with not the point of tonight, but the very fact that he asked that question tell, reveals to us the possibility that it is possible for people to come to faith in Christ and yet not yet be introduced to this experience. In other words, it is possible to be a wonderful Christian and, and, and that there's still more for you. It's possible. It does, and it doesn't, in, in this, in this ver- chapter 2 is not a rebuke. It's not a. It's not shame. It's an invitation, and it's and of course that we know that the the the, the verb tense is there, having having believed. Did you receive it? The, that believing comes first. It's I could break down this, this, the 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 grammar, but you don't care that much. Having believed that comes first. Did you receive that came after? So believing in Christ was a, that Paul identified was something that happened prior to be receiving the gift of the Spirit. And they said, No, we have not. So then he says, well, what in the world? <laughs> what were you baptized? And they said, well, we heard about that John's baptism. And he said, well, that's just water. So then verse 6, and when Paul has laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Once again, as soon as this experience comes upon their life, there is new expression. There is supernatural expression flowing up out of them. Now, verse 7 is, is, is something interesting. There were, about, there were in all about 12 men. So you could make a general argument. It's, an, it's a little bit of an argument from silence, but I think it stands up. What? How effective, how powerful was the church of Jesus Christ in Ephesus before Paul got there? Well, there were 12. It was a major city. And there were twelve hanging on. Twelve on a good day, you know. Twelve when there was potluck. Twelve when there was special speaker. Oh, Paul comes. Well, we ought to. I, I, well, I should say hello. Uh, right? Six on the midweek. You know, all of what I'm, see, Chuck knows everything I'm saying is absolutely true. It's not in the Bible, but it's absolutely gospel. But when Paul puts his hands and explains to them the person of the Spirit, it puts his hands on them and they receive the Spirit, and they begin, the first thing that happens is they begin to give charismatic expression, supernatural expression of the Spirit in their life. The Spirit comes into your life, and you should expect supernatural expression from His presence. You should expect supernatural expression from His presence. You should expect supernatural expression from His presence. His presence is the point. His presence is the point. The Spirit is the point. He is the promise. The spirit is the point. He is the promise. You feel me? Who is the promise? The spirit. He is who heaven wants you to receive the spirit. But you should expect because of biblical pattern, you should expect expression, supernatural expression from his presence in your life. And when this happens. There, Paul now, well, after this event, he will spend longer in the city of Ephesus than any other city. And. What happens in Ephesus will begin one of the greatest revivals in that era. Ephesus will become an epicenter of revival of kingdom activity. Special miracles are happening people of faith blows up this is this is this is the city where we hear uh verse eleven that that passage that you people quote and they kind of just pull out of thin air, but this is the right after that. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. It sounds like I mean, Paul was doing them, but yes, but so much so that, that, that handkerchiefs or aprons were, were even carried from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and evil spirits went out. That means Paul's busy doing his thing, and Austin comes, grabs a, grabs a hanky or whatever, takes it from Paul, wipes his brow, and runs back home, throws that hanky on somebody, and the, and the devil's going, ah! not even aware of what's going on. But people are awakened to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Well then take it. Well then do. Or they go to their sick, their 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 ailing family members and just bloop. And 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 it wasn't and they had they just had a this wasn't magic. There wasn't special words that they used. But there was the 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 There's something about. There's something about the 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 hotter the bonfire, the more flammable everything becomes quickly. When a fire is burning hot enough and bright enough, anything will. You get close enough, anything will just catch fire. And that is what happens in revival. Is that that everything becomes quickly flammable? People, people, uh, new believers become powerful you know, all of a sudden they're like, whoa, what happened? All of a sudden they're Benny Hinn, you know, or whatever. But, I mean, people just blow up because when, when we steward a fire well. But if you've ever been camping like me, and I, I, have, I happen to enjoy being a little bit of a pyro, pyromaniac in the fire, but when the fire is little, it's not very hot. It may be the same substance fire, but it, when it was little, it's not very hot. And I don't know, that's just the thing. You can have fire in church, and it's real, and people say, "Oh, I feel the presence of God." I actually smells You can have, a little fire can make a lot of smoke, and that can be wonderful. But that all that tells us is that if, if, if any size, if there's any size fire, it can be bigger, and hotter, and the more, and we can. We can add fuel to it. We can go and bring wood. We can go and add to it. Our prayers, our fervency, our faithfulness, this thing can be hotter and brighter. And the hotter it is and the brighter it is, the more flammable everything will be. You will find it's a lot less work to get people delivered and healed and set free. You'll find people. I've been in places. Many of you have heard stories. I've been in places. Dad, where were we? Remember that thing with the Portland church where Brad used to go? Remember that? Sorry, but remember we kind of had to go for a while. Remember we went across the creek, and uh, and it was not your fault, but we had to go across the creek. But remember, I remember we're singing in church and people walking up the altar. We're just singing songs and people are walking up to the altar to get saved. Why? Why? Because it was magic. That were they singing the better, different songs? They were singing the same songs everybody else was singing. The church wasn't fancy. It had pews and weird lights and old. But the fire was hot. So everything was flammable. You do you, you how do you get that you and you how you make the fire hotter is is and this is not notes. How you make the fire hotter, brighter is to stir it up. Individually, corporately, that's our responsibility. My I, I have to do what I can do and I can do a lot better. But we all have to do this together. We must stir this thing up, but I want to tell you, friends, I want you to begin to imagine a bonfire. You can have little campfires in your homes, and you should, but I want you to imagine this place. Look, it's built like a camp meeting, for crying out loud. It looks like a fire pit. Let's, let's have this just be a great big fire pit. I want you to visualize that and just see. So people come in and go, whoa when they come in, you know, know, when you go too close to the fire and your face is like, was my face burning off? That's what I want. People to come in and go, whoa. Be overwhelmed by the love of God and the holiness of God at once like a vice grip that seizes them. They're, they're, They're squeezed between holy, awesome, fearful reverence and the bliss of his love and they're undone. But that's what happens at Ephesus, throwing things and, and aprons and cloth and healing. And Ephesus becomes an epicenter of revival. Ephesus becomes the epicenter of, for the first three chapters of Revelation. Those churches are born out of the revival of Ephesus. Because Paul stops and asks 12 people if they got the Holy Ghost. All of that Eastern Asian continent is affected by the kingdom. Those people already, but before he got there, they already knew about Jesus. They already had devotions. They had their John MacArthur Bible. Oh, there it was again. I like John, not anyway. But Pentecost. Friends, we... I'm talking as a I'm talking as a, I keep thinking of myself as a little kid. But I guess I'm, I'm I'm 47 year old classical pentecostal and I just we just cannot afford to be worried about well, you know, about people's about 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 our we can't be snowflakes. Yeah. We can't be snowflakes uh, and because that snowflakeism, that fear, that that hesitancy the, from everything that, that from being ambivalent to being bored, to being, well, we don't know, maybe not for everybody or whatever that that, 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 that reservation, that hesitancy, that timidity will never open the door to breakthrough. All will will open the door is to something that we can kind of contain and control. And then we've made a nice little idol in our image. We've got, it, we, it, it's just, we've just got it. We, we, we have to, on one hand, we have to just say, okay, everything, we want all of heaven right now, immediately, ongoing, and increasingly. And at the same time, be very, very specific and intense and steward that, that desire. Friends, can you imagine, can you see it with me, the bonfire, hot, bright, you can smell it. Everybody that leaves the bonfire smells like it. Everybody smells like smoke come on you, you got to feel it flammable burn <laughs> I, I the metaphor might start to break down but and you're not supposed to do this i think sometimes but you know it's it, if you have trash and just it burnt, the fire just destroys all the trash all the waste just <laughs> Throughout history, nothing has happened until the church has embraced this Pentecostal experience. Now, through some of church history, some of the, the spiritual expression that we hear in Acts, the expression of tongues and prophecy, some of that was obfuscated because of at least two reasons. I don't want to, this isn't my point tonight, but it was obfuscated for at least two reasons. Number one, illiteracy. People just didn't, Read the Bible because they could not read the Bible, and what they heard was there was actually there was actually a series of many 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 years. Every once in a while, perhaps on a night you might think, "Hey, Dav spoke for a little bit long. You know, twenty, thirty, forty minutes. That hey, was a little long, Dav." Some some of these people had had instead of three points, they had like twelve points, and each of those points had twelve points and then subpoints. There was a, there was a season in the church life where 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 the, we people where they didn't. The Bible was referenced, and then there was lecture for an hour or two or three. And it was probably really good stuff, and the kingdom still survived, <laughs> right? The, the kingdom continued, and people still kept going to church. It's amazing what we've endured. But illiteracy kept people from seeing what was available, okay? And so what they were—they they only got what they were given, and what they were given oftentimes was affected by by what people were trained or taught, especially as you enter into the, some of the periods of, of the Reformation. And you've got to be careful because the Reformation introduced a lot of things, but a lot of the Reformation was what they, they just rejected anything that smelled like anything that used to be Catholic. So anything that smelled supernatural or anything like that or any, any, any experiential type stuff, out the door. All of it gone. That's why, that's why they tore down statues and burned everything down. They just rejected because everything, they thought everything had been polluted. Now in the Ang- that was the, in the Anglican Reformation it was less that way. Fortunately, in many of our and our Pentecostal roots come from the Anglican Reformation, which happened over in, the, in, in, the, in, the, in Great Britain. But uh, and so there was less of that rejection, but a lot of the scholarly writing that came through to so the Reformed writers and whatnot, uh, they would have they would have they would have precluded the the possibility of supernatural expression, and specifically precluded the possibility of any any experience after the confession of faith. Once you confess Christ, that was it. And it was, they wanted to protect that as real. See, it wasn't that they were against necessarily more experience, but if they, the fear was if I open the door to more experience, then I'm going to open the door to all kinds of the other stuff, you know, praying to saints and taking this and doing that. and So they wanted to protect the sacredness of the confession of faith, that we're saved by faith by, by making sure that, no, that you don't, nothing else could happen after that. That's an oversimplification, but you need to understand how history has come. And so people have heard They would hear, and they would hear, and they would hear because they were illiterate. But once the, the Bible began to be more and more read, there was more and more breakthrough. The more people encountered Scripture, there was more breakthrough into real supernatural expression. Then, of course, they, those, those people that experienced breakthrough would often be ostracized and condemned and pushed away and called names. And whoever has the power makes the rules. So if they were powerful, they, they would just say, those people are weird, don't listen to them, and they wouldn't. And there would be that ebb and flow of breakthrough, but that didn't stop people from being hungry for the Spirit. And God and God is so big that I believe God desires for supernatural expression and even and even spiritual language and prophecy. But if people will if people will almost refuse to do that or just won't do it, but I that won't stop His Spirit from continuing to work in people's lives. So you have so you have uh, uh, the the. The Wesley brothers, uh, George and uh, and John, and then uh, 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 the, and then Whitfield, George Whitfield, uh, they get together in at uh, at, the, at their seminary, and uh, they had what they called the Holy Club, and they would meet together simply because they wanted to be more holy. Which is good. Many revivals have been birthed from the desire to be holy because they believe that the church had become impure and powerless. So on New Year's Day, 1739, John and Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, and four other members of the Holy Club, plus about 60 other like-minded people, held a love feast like a communion in London about, at about 3 in the morning. Yes? Wait, don't too don't quickly. What time? Three. Not 7.30. Not, not 8.00. They, they, went, they didn't rush back to the three in the morning. They're still praying. Yes, that's when he walked on the water. He must like three in the morning. He must like that. Wow. Yeah. You think he won't hear me whispering. He does. Yeah. Uh, at Three in the morning. As we were continuing in instant prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us. insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy that means they began to laugh and many fell to the ground overcome by the power of God you know what's funny about that is i you know i teach pentecostal spirituality and many of my students who are who are even mildly comfortable with tongues They'll hear about people, you know, being, you know, falling out or being slain in the spirit, and they'll say, well, I just don't know about that. And the truth is, historically, more throughout the church history, more people have fallen out under the Holy Ghost than the, over, the, over generations. When people stop speaking in tongues, people are still falling. You can't stop that. It just happens. So these people, so, so these guys, these Anglican guys, at three in the morning, blah, 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 they're all falling out under the Holy Ghost. And, that's, and after this experience is when they said that England could be defined as, be, be, as before John Wesley and after John Wesley. This is why literally thousands or tens of thousands would show up to hear George Whitefield preach. And he didn't even have cool lights. What happened was a Pentecostal experience at three in the morning with a handful of people. And it changed a hemisphere for generations. You, 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 you just cannot, you cannot measure the impact of spirit baptism upon the church. In Topeka, Kansas, many of you know this. Again, about 75 people gathered in the Bible, college, Bible school over Christmas, over Christmas in December, Charles Parham asked his students to to, get to, the, to go to the book, read the book, read the Bible, and say, hey, we need the, we, we, people have got to know Jesus. To do that, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Look in the book. We need to find out how we're supposed to know whether we have the Spirit. How are we supposed to know? They came back to him, and, and when he came back from his trip, and they said, we believe, having read the Scriptures, that it looks like we, you, that, that's, that, that when people experience the Spirit, there is supernatural expression, we should speak in tongues. Oh, they said, great. So they started doing that. So they gathered New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. Sometime after midnight, one of them gets breakthrough. One, Agnes Osmond gets breakthrough. She begins to to speak in tongues. They, They thought she was speaking Chinese. Was she? I don't know. They probably would know more than I do because at the time there would have been a lot of Chinese immigrants working. So it might have been a language they actually recognized. I don't care. They, and, and furthermore, right away they began to believe that these were, these were actual other nations' tongues and they could diagnose what those languages were and that they, they should send those people to those countries to preach the Gospels in that tongue. Every, there was a few times that worked. Most of the time it did not work. But you know, that's the thing. When God, God will honor our faith, but that doesn't necessarily mean he endorses our opinion. Right? Right? Yeah. And so that's the thing. And th- but the good news about this is God doesn't, he doesn't actually wait until our opinions are exactly correct to honor our faith. We we, we can be a good 25% absolutely wrong with faith. I was thinking about that today. I was thinking, you know that passage in uh, in Luke 5 where they dig through the roof and then it says, and Jesus seeing their faith says to the feller, your sins are forgiven. Uh, we, I always view that in terms of An invitation to have faith, like Jesus sees their faith. Oh, I want Jesus to see my faith. I want to live so he sees my faith. Hallelujah. I think that's a good application. But here's what I thought from a leadership perspective. These guys did something incredibly rude. Can you just bring yourself to the moment? They dug through a guy's roof. I mean... I mean, I'm glad for, I'm glad younger. He's mature and everything. But if you were a different demographic age group, I'd say that was a youth pastor move. But you are a whole other branch, brother. Right? You are a, you're an associate pastor of stuff. But, but, but we all know that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a rookie youth pastor move. I dug through the roof, right? You know, I mean, that's a dumb thing to do, and it would be easy for a leader to go, God, what are you doing? And then Jesus could have said, Boys, why did you dig through that? You could have just waited. You could have said, excuse me. You could have, I would have come out in a minute. But, but Jesus, instead of, re, he, sees, he sees the rudeness and the inappropriateness even of their behavior, but sees their faith. And so here's what I'm saying to us tonight, that, that when we, there's going to be times in, in seeking after God and in breakthrough and in services, you might see someone behaving in a way that you think is a little, a little inappropriate. Maybe they're a little too goofy, maybe a little too silly, maybe too hungry. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe some woman who looks drunk is interceding. You might not know she's actually praying for the Lord to give her a son. So simmer down. You might see a Chinese guy acting like a dragon and roaring thinking, and then call the boss and say, we got a Chinese guy acting crazy when you don't realize that he's actually, he's, he, he's roaring like a lion and he's praying against the dragon over his nation. Wow. They didn't find that out until after because nobody understood what he was saying. Yes, I'm talking about the crazies in Toronto. I had one professor of, my, of mine that dismissed Toronto as an insignificant event. What he didn't know is that, that outside of Azusa and the Jesus movement, the, 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 the Toronto blessing is probably one of the largest missiological catalysts in the last century. In Bill Johnson's own words at Bethel Church in Reading, he said, if you think what's happening here has nothing to do with Toronto, you're wrong. <laughs> but at first, they were just enjoying the love of God. And as they allowed, and here's the thing about revival and, or harvest. Do Anybody know much about, I'm not a farmer guy, but I know a little bit. I know because you drive through, and, and where's Paul? What comes first, apples or flowers on the tree? Can you eat the flower? No. <laughs> you don't, <laughs> apples don't feed people, apples don't, he- I mean, the flower doesn't feed, doesn't heal, doesn't do anything. It just looks pretty and smells good. But in revival, the flower always comes before fruit. Let the flower come. Let the fragrance come. Let the holy expressions come. Let laughter come. Let joy come. Let whatever come. And then just let it come. Don't, don't get it. If you got upset because you went to the apple tree and all you saw was flowers and then cut down the tree, you'd never have fruit. You've got to let the tree do its thing. So let it happen. And I'm talking about faith right now. So the Lord, people are going to do things in their hunger that you're going to have to allow for because the Lord's going to allow it and he's going to let you be annoyed by it. And I'm talking to that guy who is in the reflection of that nursing mother's mirror right there. That guy, this guy right here. This guy is going to be annoyed by things. Okay. But we have to be careful not to say, hey, just because I think that, that there's a percentage of that that's a little off. But if there's genuine faith there, Jesus is going to say, oh, I, I see the faith. Yeah, they dug through the roof, but I see faith. Wow. And then there's breakthrough. Yep. How did I get there? Oh, they thought they were speaking their, these languages. Uh, so they break through in Topeka, then they move to, and they fast forward uh, in Azusa, same thing. People are praying. And you know what? When, when William Seymour got to, got to Los Angeles he did not he was not a tongue speaker he did not speak in tongues, but he had heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that gave expre- that was gave, gave it that gave evidence that gave expression by speaking in tongues and he really liked the idea so he taught about it he taught it he taught it he preached it he didn't have it, but he preached it and so the- and then the Methodist church kicked him out, locked the doors. So we had to go to Bonnie Bray Street together with a bunch of other people who still didn't got it, but they but they but they thought it. And they taught it and they prayed it. So one day they got it. And it shook, it shook Los Angeles. But they prayed. They prayed. They waited. They were they see the thing is. They were aware of something and hungry for something that they wanted. And they didn't get all worked up because nobody had it yet. They didn't get offended. They didn't get bothered. They didn't get put out, put off. They didn't change. They didn't change their, their, their theology to accommodate their experience. They surrendered their experience to what the book said. And then. The Jesus movement, see the hippies at, at the, at, in haight ashbury the hippies got together and they there was a, that, the hippies was actually the, the, a lot of that movement was based on hope they they didn 't like the status quo they were they were believing for a, a this the, this new utopian thing mostly fueled by lsd and uh, uh, but in this atmosphere of hope they many of them experienced outright total disappointment but in the middle of that some of them began to find jesus i mean stories of people of jesus appearing to them and all this kind of thing so in the middle of that these hippies began to experience the baptism in the holy spirit pentecost had everything to do with the jesus people everything and that movement has continued to shake this country for 30 40 years Jeff, what are you saying? I'm saying that revival is the only hope of the church, immediately, ongoingly, and increasingly. We must not settle for a single charism. It, it is not. Can I just talk to you for a second more? It, we must not settle for a single charism. We don't. We. It is not enough for us to say, "Well, let's just pray." And then, you know, I want us to be careful about saying things like, "Well, let's just pray" because someone wants, you know, like wants their prayer language. That that first of all. That's not a phrase that's in the book. Okay, the book says, "Speak in tongues, pray in tongues," because the point is, it's not just a prayer language. It is a, is it a supernatural expression that prays that, that, that prays that praises that intercedes that edifies? <laughs> I mean, it's a it is the lang- it is a language of the Spirit that does all kinds of things. But the point is, it's the person of the Holy Spirit, and He comes upon us. And when that happens, we should expect that we will speak in tongues. But do not settle just speaking in tongues expect it but don't settle for it do you understand what i'm saying and i and i want us to and i also don't want us to apologize for tongues i just don't have time or patience for it anymore i'm not going to settle for them as a goal but i will expect supernatural expression because it is biblical there's a flow and there's a fullness to the spirit he comes like a river and and he has to flow up out of us We must, without hesitation, without reluctance, or without fear, and with great expectation, seek for the immediate, ongoing, and increasing outpouring and infilling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. In 1859, uh, we're almost done, in case you get nervous. I didn't expect to talk this long tonight. But, again, I've been waiting for three months. In 1859, there was a the, the, the late 1800s was, was a season of, of of increasing hunger for revival and, and they, and, and and prayer. And over in Belfast, Ireland, they 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 gathered together. The Presbyterian Church got together for a prayer. <laughs> and uh, this is a different day. But the moderator of the the here, listen to the prayer. They, they be, this is how they opened up. They gathered together for a massive prayer time. And I want you to hear the words. They recorded his introduction prayer as to why they were there. Okay, this is, this, is, this is in 1859, the general moderator of the Presbyterian meeting in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Are you ready? Here's what he said. We are especially met. We're here for this specific reason. We are, I don't want to have to translate Irish. Uh, we are especially met to do homage to the Holy Ghost, whose convincing and converting power have been so strikingly manifested among us for these several months. Let us not resist the Holy Spirit, nor grieve him, but ask unceasingly, earnestly, and expectingly that he will descend upon us this day as he did on the day of Pentecost in answer to the many prayers offered up and to be offered and that many sons and daughters may this day be born to the Lord Almighty. People were struck down under deep conviction of sin. Many wept silently and others cried out for mercy. Groups of boys and girls and number of the children of poverty prayed in separate groups on the edges of the crowd. This meeting would go on and on and on. These people were taken. What happens, people would be overcome and they would be taken to the church gardens or different people's houses where they would pray with them, exhorted them, and they would sing and worship. It would be impossible. It says it was impossible to dismiss the service, and some did not leave the gathering until 5 a.m. This is just normal stuff. What I'm saying is nothing happens in history unless that we are especially met to do homage to the Holy Spirit. Once again, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, I would define a revival as a large number, a group of people being baptized by the Holy Spirit at the same time or the Holy Spirit falling upon, coming upon a number of people assembled together. It can happen in a chapel, in a church. It can happen in a district. It can happen in a country. It can happen today. It can happen ongoingly. And it can happen increasingly. Amen. Amen. Could we have our musicians come? And could we close tonight by waiting upon the Lord? Can we do that? I know I have spoken at Lakes. And I respect that many of you have children and things that you need to do. But my prayer tonight is that we would come back to that one picture of the bonfire. That can we as a church purpose ourselves together immediately ongoing and increasingly to stewarding and building a great bonfire in this fire pit can we do that let's stand can we stand together can I ask you to pray some of you might just want to come and just stand across here and wait upon the Lord and just ask the Lord some of you just came tonight you say I just I want God to touch me right now I have an immediate right now desire for the Holy Spirit to come upon me We'll wait. We'll pray with you. Others, I would, I would strongly encourage you to set aside your delicacies, your delicate nature, your ambivalence, or your boredom. And I would I would encourage you, what I exhort you to open your heart and open your mouth and, and just begin to pray unceasingly and expectantly for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Come on, can we lift up our voice? Some of you just want to pray in the Spirit. Go ahead. Just pray in the Holy Ghost. Just pray out loud. Pray in the Spirit. But let that river come up out of you. Come on, let's stir up. Let's build. I want you to begin to visualize that fire. The fire of the Lord begin to flow up out of you tonight. Some of you haven't prayed in the Spirit for years and years because you've been in a church where they said you shouldn't or couldn't. Some of you have been afraid to, thought God left you. He hasn't left you, but you sense Him right now quickening. Some of you right now, there's, the Spirit's going to come upon you in a fresh way simply because you open your mouth. Let that river flow up out of you. Come on, let that thing flow up out of you. Come on, church, let it flow, let it flow. Our musicians will bring it up just a little bit. Bring it up a little bit. Let that serenade his presence. Serenade his presence. Anybody that wants specific prayer, if you just make a little bit of a step forward so I can see you, we'll do that. Let's come on. Don't quiet it down. Don't stop. Don't change it. If you need, if you must leave, don't feel one bit bashful about stepping out. Go and grateful and with God's presence and may his hand be upon you. But if you can stay and pray, let's do that. All right, if you want to sing, let's sing. And then let's pray together.